0: You'd be hard-pressed to come up with, I think, another industry that uses data more than insurance. I mean, the whole industry is actually predicated on data. There's nothing tangible about
1: it. Welcome to Don't Break the Bank, Run It and Change It, our podcast for curious minds in the financial services industry. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and together with my co-host Brian Hayes, we've both worked for over 30 years in banking, and banking IT before joining VMware. In today's episode, we talk with Kevin McLaughlin. Kevin is the partner and co-founder at EmTech Capital, a venture capital firm that invests in technology companies operating in the insurance industry. Kevin talks with us about how technology allows insurance companies to advance their operations and to offer new products and services, but how the adoption has been a slow process. As venture capital investors, he explains how EmTech is being patient and navigating and leading some of the transformation taking place in the insurance industry. Kevin does stress the importance and opportunities of digital transformation and how the use of cloud and technologies like AI and ML can be game changers for insurance and banking. Welcome, Kevin. Great to have you with us today.
0: Nice to be here, Matthew.
1: So Brian's not able to make it today. He sends his apologies. So it's just the two of us. So um, I can't now blame him for any of the random questions. If there is you know, Clearly, they'll, they'll be all of mine. So just to get us started, then, can you give us a quick intro about you and your role?
0: Well, going back to when I graduated from college, I made a decision to join the U.S. Peace Corps. I thought it was a good idea to to give some service as a as a member of civic society, to give back, also found the idea of working um, internationally very appealing. So I spent two years in Democratic Republic of Congo helping villages organize to find sources of potable, pure drinking water. I learned uh, Swahili and uh, kind of refine my French while I was there. But when I returned to the U.S., New York. I still wasn't clear about what I wanted to do career-wise. I have an older brother who's a lawyer. I thought I might want to be a lawyer. He suggested I become a paralegal and kind of test drive. So I joined a firm called Davis Polk and Wardwell on Wall Street. I spent two years there as a paralegal and decided law was not for me. So I went to business school. After business school and MBA, I joined AIG and then spent eight years at AIG and then went into investment banking and spent the next 23 years in investment banking, covering the insurance industry.
1: Wow, that's quite a varied career and an intro, very interesting start. So did you have any idea what you wanted to do when you, were, when you left school?
0: Not really. I had an inkling that I would end up in finance at some point. And it wasn't entirely random, I suppose, that I landed in insurance because I'm actually the fourth generation McLaughlin in insurance The previous three generations were brokers.
1: So it's in the blood. It's in the blood. So looking back then across your career, what would you say was your career defining moment?
0: I think what I've done successfully is took the experience I had in insurance at AIG and was able to leverage that in a new career in investment banking in a way that allowed me to kind of go deeper into this insurance vertical which made me kind of a relatively rare resource within investment banking. Yeah, And so I guess the kind of the career advice that might follow out of that is at some point, pick your niche and go deep in it and make yourself invaluable to your employer.
1: What's been your proudest moment?
0: Proudest moment? Probably when I was made managing director at First Investment Bank. I was at, it's called UBS Warburg here in London.
1: Tell me a bit more about that.
0: It's quite a arduous career path in investment banking to make it to a managing director. And then when you get to that level where you're up for it, it's like a partnership, the existing partners get together and they have votes. And, you know, relatively few people who are put up or made partner managing director. Mm. And so it was just a moment that you know i was proud it reaffirmed reaffirm my conviction that investment banking uh, was the right place for me i really enjoyed it and that i was valued by my colleagues
1: i think it's one of those things i, I, I talked to somebody else earlier today about this you know, there seems to be very few people empowered to say yes and a lot of people empowered to say no so to get many that, that many yes votes i can absolutely appreciate uh, that's quite an achievement as we move into our deep dive tell us about your firm mtech capital
0: Man, and I did a real deep dive. All right, uh, let's get into it. We'll find out everything there is to know. In 2017, I left banking and with a partner co-founded MTech Capital. Uh, we raised in 2018, about $100 million. I've got a great partner. He's based in our other office in Santa Monica. I'm here in London. We've got perfectly complementary backgrounds. He started in investment banking also, but after eight years, went into venture capital, where he focused on fintech. Uh, he also happens to be my brother. <laughs> and we have now the two of us, we have six investment professionals. We have 25 companies in our portfolio today. Most of them are on the website for M-Tech Capital. We invest in about six companies per year. We review and that involves meeting 600-700 companies a year. Oh, so wow. we invest in about 1% of what we see. And what we're looking for in the startups that we evaluate really their use of technology to transform some part of the insurance industry. So that could be when you think of the value chain, you know, the front end, the sales and distribution, it could be underwriting, claims or the back office administrative operations.
1: Within the podcast, we've been talking recently a lot about AI, ML, and data. Does that form the basis of some of those investment opportunities that you're looking at?
0: Absolutely. I mean, Matthew, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with, I think, another industry that uses data more than insurance. I mean, the whole industry is actually predicated on data. There's nothing tangible about it. And for a very long time, that data has been stored and not really mined in any rigorous way. And so with the advent of machine learning, artificial intelligence, it creates enormous opportunity in the insurance industry to actually to aggregate new data and to analyze existing data for kind of right across the value chain. It could be on the the sales, side for more targeted marketing, personalized marketing. It can be in underwriting to improve accuracy of kind of risk selection uh, and the probability of a claim. And it can be in the claims process where you're using computer vision to virtually assess a claim okay, and have, uh, let's say the consumer just upload claims from an auto accident and have those evaluated using computer vision. So there are lots of applications of AI, machine learning, natural language processing, computer vision, and we're at the very early stages.
1: Given your unique experiences in insurance and in banking, would you say that insurance has switched on more to data now than than banking or banking's still a little bit ahead or, you know, what's, what's your perspective there?
0: Banking is definitely ahead. My guess is roughly ten to fifteen years ahead. Just having spent my my career, most of my career in banking, I can see that. And so that is kind of one of the, if you will, investment theses that my partner Brian and I are following. And that is, we think there are clear parallels between the evolution of fintech and insurtech. And so. There is a strategic imperative in insurance to adopt technology for digitalization, just like there was in banking and is, but we're at the very early stages of
1: that. Is tech just fintech with a different badge, or is there something different about tech?
0: Of course, you're solving different problems in InsureTech, but I mean, it is ultimately uh, the the application of technology to business processes to make them faster, more efficient, more accurate or effective. And so I guess at a high level, they're they're very similar. So things that have been done historically, manually, with unstructured data, very high touch, that is changing with digitalization. So, So many of these processes now can be automated using combinations of technology OCR, machine learning, and uh, natural language processing,
1: and others. I'm going to be shot down by the fintech community for this, I'm sure, but it's perhaps thought of more in the UI and the user experience and the customer journey, and and a, a kind of a very tangible, wear it on the sleeve, wear a fintech. Whereas I think with what you've just talked about, a lot of those technologies aren't necessarily seen; they're part of the engine. I'm almost, uh, maybe almost, kind of comparing it more like. A core banking upgrade than a bringing a new service. So, have I summed that up correctly, or is there is there much more to it?
0: No, I think you're making a very good point, really. And that is, your relationship with your insurer is different than your relationship with your bank.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. I see that?
0: So, as a as a consumer, I mean, you're you're accessing your bank probably every day, and uh, so it's just just much more interactive relationship. Insurance might be a once a year thing, either for renewal or you know, you have a claim. And so the reality is with the insurance industry, except for a slice of it, they're not dealing with the end consumer directly. So there's still a lot of distribution going through agents and brokers in insurance. And that's definitely true in the commercial side of the business. And it's Depending on the country, it's partly or largely true with respect to what we call personal lines, so motor insurance, homeowners insurance. In a way, you're right to think, well, I don't really, I really haven't seen that UIUX improvement in insurance. It's because a lot of time is actually spent improving the the broker's uh, efficiency and the way they interact with the insurance company. And then, in, in turn, it's the broker who has the relationship with the end customer.
1: Right. So, kind of, kind of in the manufacturing end rather than in the
0: exactly. uh, back front end delivery.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. But um, it's not to
0: say, of course, there isn't this. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. There are companies, right? You can pick your market. Can be well through the the aggregators in the UK for motor insurance or Progressive or Geico. You can go direct in the US, and that clearly they have done a lot to improve that. UI US, uh, UX experience on that front but then there's this vast other parts of insurance where the end consumer is not necessarily the focus of where the the carriers efforts to digitize
1: just just kind of following on on that for a moment then so that that area of kind of like the general insurance the insurance that's we as consumers get annoyed about once a year when renewals come out and they look that much higher or whatever. And then, oh, right, I'm going to shop around this year and then you leave it and just renew and all that kind of stuff. Do you see that industry or that part of the business Likely to change? Are the insurers happy in that way, or, or are they looking at more of these things? I think you know we we kind of hear about the potential of insure per drive, or, or the potential even the satnavs told you to go that route, you've chosen a different route. We're gonna you're gonna charge you incrementally more for a more dangerous route or something. Are, are you seeing that level of of innovation coming into the consumer space, or is that just kind of like the reimagining? based with journalists rather than reality. What's the take?
0: No, it's real. So we are seeing digital technology allowing insurance companies to offer new products. And so telematics has been around for quite a long time, for, you know, at least 10 years. So that's pretty basic technology today. It's kind of a commodity. But actually the harder part has been for insurance companies to take that, that telematics data So let's say you're insured with an insurer using telematics, they might send you a little black box that you plug into your car. So now it's monitoring how hard you brake, how fast you accelerate, et cetera. So really driving behavior. But the question is whether the insurance company has the ability system to actually evaluate that data and use it in a way to more accurately assess your riskiness as a driver. Okay. And that is actually the harder part of this workflow. But it has definitely allowed insurance companies to, they are making a stab at it. Um, And so there is pay by mile. That's pretty simple business model. Then there's that one you mentioned, Matthew, about tracking driver behavior and then pricing your policy according to how aggressive or, or not you drive. And then there is just the distribution side where we're seeing innovation where, and again, it can be by market. If you take the UK market, 75% or so of consumers purchase their motor insurance through a a price comparison website. Oh, okay. So that, and that I've seen that happen here over the last 15 years. So it's been very interesting to see. We believe, for example, having to believe at Mtech Capital, that same evolution will take place in the US, but it has been a a slower process. Mm. So many people still go through agents. And so digital technology, now if you think about your experience on Amazon or Kayak or something like that, putting that in the hands of the consumer for insurance will definitely revolutionize the purchase of insurance for the basic lines of insurance that people know
1: yeah yeah.
0: Auto and home.
1: Clearly there's a ton more to insurance than just general insurance, right? So uh, it's just I think that's the bit that's the bit you kind of f- can personally visualize a bit more. And I guess in that space thinking about how tech firms are all looking for how they get subscription and how that subscription revenue is something that can be predicted and grown, do you see there's room for big tech firms to come in here and steal some price, whether it's car insurance as a service Uh, or or drive a mile as a service or something. But do you see that the subscription players are eyeing this as a market and thinking, next time I'm not going to be going to compare the insurance com. I'm going to be going to Google, Apple, someone. What, What do you think?
0: I don't see it happening. So I don't see the functional equivalent of Amazon or Google coming in and, like, turning upside down the insurance industry. And the reason for that is because firstly, it's a highly regulated industry mm-hmm, mm-hmm. everywhere. And it's a capital intensive industry. And it's also kind of a long term industry. In other words, your relationship with the your insured the policyholder, especially depending on the line of insurance, life insurance, yeah, yeah, absolutely. very long term. And so just By its nature, I think it is also a relatively complex business, and so I think what we'll see is rather than a big tech coming in and disrupting it, we'll see 10, 20 years from now, if you take a look at leading global insurance companies, probably a lot of them will be the same as they are today except I would imagine the order is going to
1: change quite a okay. bit. Okay. So you mentioned it there about how long this takes. And um, I don't know uh, where we were chatting before with it, whether we think this is glacial in, in the way that this moves or whether there's something else. But for uh, a VC firm like yours, how, how do you work out where to place your bets? Because, you know, surely you're going to be looking for big ticket quick wins and insurance feels like much of a, you know, a very long, a long play. So how do you, make that work out?
0: You know, I think the way I characterize change in the insurance industry is, it'll be slowly at first and then all of a sudden. What just (laughs) happened? (laughs) Right, so exactly. And so I think we're still frankly in slowly stage. And so for us as venture capital investors, we understand that. You need to be patient capital in this industry. But having said that, you can probably bifurcate some of, you know, the businesses that we invest in, where some we can see a return in the next five years, and others, it's more like the next 10 years. So, for example, in the next five-year bucket, I might put something like embedded insurance, right? So, that's the idea where you might be buying a plane ticket, and you get this this offer to purchase travel insurance, all you have to do is click on it. Or you're paying your monthly mortgage. And again, you receive an offer for home insurance. Mm. And it's, it's it's all integrated into the mortgage payment process already. So no questions. So that's embedded insurance. That's happening fast. You can see results yeah. impact rather fast. So businesses are growing there at a different rate or a high rate. And so I would put those in kind of the five-year return bucket. The kind of the 10-year return bucket would be SaaS businesses, frankly. Oh, okay. Insurance companies, and we've invested in several, and we've learned that insurance, I suppose we should have known this or did know this, but they are very deliberate in their decision-making. So sales cycles for software tend to be long. 11 months twelve is, is for example for one of our portfolio companies. And they also have real challenges with replacing existing systems. And so we think that the transition and, and replacing older systems and using modern software, that definitely will and has to happen, but it's going to take years. That'll be more than the 10 year play.
1: Okay, well, um, yeah, that, that's that definitely resonates with with other conversations we have. Across financial services, so so they're going to be thinking then. But so banking, as the reference, they're kind of reframing or trying to reframe themselves as a software company with a banking license, and some of it's to try and make them more attractive to get and retain technical talent. And at the same time as that, there's. There is a lot of legacy and oh, sorry, heritage systems to maintain. Yeah. How how are you seeing that play out in uh, insurance? Are they thinking they're a a software company that does insurance? Uh, And and how are they then trying to attract people?
0: The answer is yes. They typically insure techs if they're in the software and would position themselves definitely as kind of a software company, tech-enabled or tech-informed business that does insurance. Partly, that's a recognition of reality, and the other part is that, yes, you generally would achieve a higher valuation. But it, it is more true than not that they are probably tech companies insofar as we see relatively few insured techs who make the decision to become actual regulated insurance companies. Right. Yeah. That's a big step. It has capital implications, and of course, now you're you're highly regulated. So that's a different proposition and we don't see very many of those.
1: So how about talent then? Are you seeing the insurance companies are looking to insure tech and, and upgrading systems to to help them in a talent race? Or, or are you seeing that actually that's not an issue?
0: Well, let me say this. First, I would, let's say, bifurcate this market between the insure techs we work with and the insurance companies we work with. Mm. There has definitely been a war for talent among the techs over the last few years. So it's been kind of a software engineer's dream. And of course, they've become very expensive hires for techs to the point where a number of our portfolio companies have been sourcing software developers from Bulgaria to Lithuania, even Ukraine. Actually, Ukraine was quite big before the war. Now with the sell-off in technology stocks and hiring freezes at all the big techs, I suspect that you know in the course of this year we'll see that that job market cool a bit. With respect to then the the other category, tr- the traditional insurers, yes, they need that talent who are now you know the kind of mod- let's call modern software engineers, developers. But at the same time, they need to keep their existing IT people because, as I mentioned earlier, insurance companies are not going to rip and replace their core IT infrastructure. This is going to be kind of a gradual process over time. And it just means they can't afford to allow some IT engineers, senior people with decades of experience to retire because they're most of them are still using their systems, which are decades old. They deliver every day. These things hum along and they do the job and they need to be serviced. At some point, they'll have to turn off the switch, but I think it's going to be quite a long
1: time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a long time since I wrote COBOL Code, but, you know, it's still in the back of my head there. Um, so... Um, Back to the main topic then around data, AI, and ML, and how do you see that playing a transformational role? Is it something that's incremental or is there massive movement and and changing trajectory coming along?
0: I would say it's going to be, it it is incremental. And so it was interesting. I was just at a conference in Amsterdam a few weeks ago and with the rest of the MTech Capital team. One of our common observations was We saw probably 60 companies or more present and there was nothing nothing earth-shattering in terms of new technology or use cases that was coming out. And that was not the case four or five years ago. For example, the first time I remember hearing about using computer vision, again, to um, evaluate a uh, motor insurance claim through photographs or video. I mean, that was really groundbreaking. And today, a whole bunch of insurance companies are using it and refining it. And so I think what we're going to see now is, is let's call it the umbrella technology of AI being deployed in different use cases across the insurance industry. But it'll take years for them to, A, to show results, I think, tangible results from it and B, to find new use cases to really g- broaden the use of of AI and digital technology in general.
1: Oh, well, the computer vision one's interesting, particularly interesting. Uh, you know, you kind of see, I don't know, again, you kind of think that's linked up with AI, and I guess it's part of the learning that goes into what you actually want the computer vision to work out for you. So is it very interesting?
0: And uh, just on that note, I wouldn't overstate how much computer vision we, we're seeing. We're investing, for example, in a company, Matthew, that will go into a warehouse or a factory, and let's say through existing security cameras, uh, link up its software, and use computer vision to evaluate video to try to recognize risky behavior. Oh, okay. Like say driving a forklift too fast or this and that. So that's kind of a cool application of computer vision. And using AI, right? In insurance, but the use cases say for I would say machine learning are far greater. So I wouldn't I just don't want to leave you with the impression that we see tons of computer vision being
1: deployed. No, okay. Oh no, that's actually that's great clarification as well. When you think about linking security cameras and that kind of stuff, you can kind of think in a retail context, you think about What's that for? Is the term shrinkage, but inventory management or or shoplifting, let's say, and in financial services, and particularly banking, and and cameras in banking halls, looking for threatening behaviour or looking for for security risks. So so that's interesting that you kind of take that onto on 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 a level that you still get those things, but also you can assess the level of risk you've got in a policy and then make according. Well, make changes accordingly. So, very, it's a very interesting
0: level of risk, and actually look to prevent.
1: Yeah, yeah. Claims. Yeah, right? So,
0: it, it, in this case, this company tries to flag that risky behavior before someone gets hurt to pre- prevent the claim. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, that's interesting about data, AI, ML, and that area. And uh, you know, another big area that we're seeing a lot of interest in, in you know, across all industries, is edge computing. Is that is that something you're you're seeing or hearing about?
0: I'm certainly not an expert in this area, but I would say this out of our portfolio companies of 24, 25 companies, there's one that uses edge computing. And it happens to be, by the way, the company that we discussed that uh, uses computer vision. (laughs) Okay. And the reason it it uses edge computing there, it has found that just analyzing video, if all of it gets sent to the cloud and has come back, it takes too long. And so, It's only when they see a risk of behavior that that segment of the the video then gets shipped to the cloud for uh, analysis. But otherwise, the big trend is definitely cloud computing. And so I think insurance companies, on the one hand, understand that to really make use of machine learning in all parts of their business, they need to move their data up to the cloud at the same time, there, is, there can be resistance, reluctance to do that because this is these systems they have today, on-prem, they are the source of mm. truth mm. for the insurance company. And God forbid that something go wrong. I mean, that's the fear and they lose, lose their data.
1: All right. So let me push your technology a little bit further then. So do you see any blockchain use cases or is that still one of those things that technologists just want on their CV? Are you hearing anything there?
0: We follow the money at M-Tech Capital. So in other words, we, we don't sit out in the morning to say, we're interested to invest in a blockchain company, let's go find one. Right. We actually, we evaluate companies, we see who's getting financing, who are solving problems, and are addressing a large market. And those are the criteria we use for investment decision. Blockchain, frankly, we see extremely little activity in blockchain. You know the use case for it is unclear to me. I can see it in the relationship between the insurance company and the reinsurer. Yeah. So the insurance companies oftentimes, right, uh, will insure their own risk with reinsurers. Blockchain between the primary insurer and the customer. The you know use case for that. In my view, is just a lot less okay.
1: clear. Okay, I wasn't sure whether there may be something in, like, in in the claim process between multi parties, the things could be speeded up, or whether there was something perhaps in in around immutability in data, and particularly in life pe- and pension type of products. So I, I wasn't sure, but it's a great it's a great answer. Follow the money and see where people are looking. Let's change the pace again then, and this is the question. This is called our crystal ball.
0: I see the future.
1: Really? Well what do you have? A crystal ball? What's gonna happen? Listen, if you know something, you gotta tell me. And particularly in the in the industry or the part of the industry you're in, I think this is probably what you're paid to do for a lot of the time, but what do you think would be one of the most significant game changing technologies? You know, near term technologies. And, and how do you think that's gonna help or hinder financial services? And, and in this case, specifically insurance?
0: Under the broad umbrella of AI, AI will transform the insurance industry, I have no doubt. And it has already started. If you're asking me what will the impact be in 2022, it's going to be a, a, a much longer term process than that. So the industry needs time to develop these use cases and measure efficacy of technology in various parts of the business. But personally, where I see the most potential for value creation through technology will be using machine learning on the underwriting front. And so, you know, underwriting is, I mean, insurance is all about probabilities. That's really what it comes down to. What is the probability that a business or a person is going to have a claim and, you know, Actuaries, like statisticians, seek to find factors with predictive power. And over centuries, you know, actuaries have developed these, depending on the line of business, it could be centuries or decades for uh, newer lines. They've developed, you know, a list of factors with probability weightings. And the fascinating potential of AI here is to be able to assess a whole lot more of these factors that maybe it never occurred to actuaries or data scientists that there might be some correlation and to identify correlations which actually have quite powerful predictive power about the probability of a claim. So to me, that is a really exciting use case for AI and insurance underwriting. But it will take, firstly, it'll take, uh, I think, years to develop because you've got to Find those those correlations with predictive power and then secondly this is insurance and so the industry will demand that there be years of data to support the fact that these new factors actually do have that predictive
1: power that's great actually because that's kind of it's all back to the data again right yeah yeah oh, great yeah, good stuff good stuff Let's change the pace again and get to know you a, a bit more. And uh, we'll go into our lightning round. Uh, we usually call it the lightning round. OK, welcome to Super Awesome Bonus Lightning Round. The lightning round begins now. So, Kevin, this is our fun, fast round. Normally, I've got Brian here and we're able to incrementally ask the tricky questions. But now, you know, it's all down to me. So, um, you know, it's me. You can either um, love or loathe at the end of this. A pass is fine. But next time we catch up, I'll have some fun with you about why you passed. So (laughs) let's start with a nice, easy one. What's um, your favorite book or movie?
0: Book, Jonathan Franzen, The Corrections. Movie, Force Measure*.
1: Okay. We've not had either of those two before. That's super. If you had a time machine, would you go back in time or into the future?
0: Definitely future. I don't tend to look backwards. I'm not nostalgic. I I like looking forward.
1: Okay. Okay. Would you say you're a morning person or an evening person? Evening. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Still or sparkling? Still. What's a favourite item you've bought in the last year?
0: New set of headphones, not the ones I'm wearing now. <laughs> Much more posh. Actually, it was a gift from my nephew.
1: Okay. Okay. I
0: wouldn't have bought them for myself. They're great,
1: though. <laughs> we won't mention brands, but okay. What piece of career advice do you wish you'd given to your younger self?
0: I would say work hard at finding your niche. Find something that you really like and, and become expert in that area. And you can become a, a really valuable resource to employers.
1: Okay. Okay. When was the last time you used cash and what was it for?
0: I used cash a week ago to pay my barber, oh. who does not take cards and probably never will.
1: <laughs> right. There's a uh, serious question now. What would your superpower be and why?
0: Flying so I never have to go into another airport.
1: <laughs> Flying and being able to take a case with you, I guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. If you were an ice cream, what flavour would you be? Walnut. Oh, okay. Reason? No reason. <laughs> that will be the next interview. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if you had to delete all but three apps on your smartphone, which, which three would you keep?
0: I would definitely keep WhatsApp because I use it like crazy. I would keep Uber, use it a lot. And I would keep either BBC or New York Times.
1: Oh, okay. That's interesting three. Interesting three. What's the worst job you ever had?
0: I worked uh, in high school during a summer in a a factory that made um, desserts. And um, if you've ever heard of uh, a Twinkie, yep. it's this sponge cake with this cream of unidentifiable ingredients inside. And my job was to take trays of Twinkies and put them in a big oven. <laughs> Worst job I ever had. <laughs>
1: Oh, So, look, you made me think of another question then. What's the weirdest food you've ever eaten? I'm kind of thinking back to your Peace Corps days. You may have been, uh, you know, experienced something there that uh, you might never wish to go back to.
0: That is true. Oh, yeah, I have quite, I would have quite a few of those grilled grubs. It's pretty unusual. Or termites. Live. Oh, okay. Yeah, but you know what, Matthew? You (laughs) just realize, you know, when you're there, and by the way, you have have to be hungry. Yeah. Yeah, it's just cultural baggage. Yeah, you know, you just get used to it.
1: No, no, absolutely, absolutely. So, what one food, as a as a kid, did you were you told you had to eat, and do you do you still like that now?
0: Brussels sprouts, <laughs> and I still don't
1: like. it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. actually
0: know. Oh. I don't know how people can like them.
1: I, you know, I am totally with you, but my uh, my daughter absolutely loves them. Oh, She tells yeah. me she absolutely loves them. And I think that's just to make my wife happy because no one could possibly like them, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. So uh, the question that Brian will always ask, um, and, and it usually as is a, is a good wrap up for us, is, um, you know, you have to sing karaoke. And, and that's not you have to sing it now for us live. But <laughs> yeah, you have to sing karaoke. What song would you pick?
0: Proud Mary. That's Creedence Clearwater Revival. Wow. If you know the song.
1: That is, again, it's a first. So that's, uh, that's You
0: will recognize it in a, in a second, I think.
1: Interesting choice. Okay. Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. I found it very interesting and I've learned a lot from you. So uh, how can our listeners get to find out more about you and what you do?
0: The easiest way is um, to go to www.mtechcapital.com. And you'll see what we invest in. You'll see bios on all of us. And my email address, Kevin at mtechcapital.com. Thank you so much. Thank you, Matthew. It was a pleasure.
1: To keep up with Kevin, please follow him on LinkedIn or look him up on his mtechcapital.com website. We'll have links in our show notes. As always, if we can help you in any way, please talk with your VMware account team. Or you can connect with us through LinkedIn. Just search for Brian Hayes or Matthew O'Neill at VMware. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew ON or our podcast on Twitter at DBTBpod. And you can find our show notes at DontBreakTheBankPodcast.com. If you like our podcast and can leave us a review and comment on Apple Podcasts, that'd be really appreciated. And if you have ideas for future episodes or would wish to appear as a future guest, please do get in touch. We hope you can join us again next time. Please do take care.